turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. We're going to continue our study in Colossians this morning by picking it up in verse 16 of chapter 2 and and going through the remainder of the chapter. If you've been with us in this series, what hopefully has stood out to you uh, is the message that Paul keeps saying over and over and over again that Jesus Christ is the center of all things. And I don't think you can get even away from this service this morning without hearing that, without getting that message. And if Jesus really is the center of everything, and as Paul is arguing, he's the center of the cosmos at the grandest scale and at the smallest micro level scale of our own hearts, if he is at the center of all things, then here's what that means. The path to human flourishing means to put Jesus at the center of all of our things. Our hopes, our careers, our families, our dreams, our daily lives, our identities. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to be a Christian. It doesn't mean just to do a bunch of religious things. It means to say, I'm someone who believes Jesus is the center. Jesus is my hope, and I'm increasingly putting him at the center of my life. This is where the letter keeps taking us, Paul's letter, past shallow, lifeless faith and toward life with Jesus at the center, what we call wholehearted life in Jesus. If you have your Colossians journal with you, it's on page 14, our text is today, and, and if not, obviously that you can have your Bible open as well. I want to ask to, you to take out a pen or pencil if you have one. We're going to engage the text that way, and you obviously don't have to follow along, but I think it's a great way to engage your mind and your heart in the text as we go through it. This morning's text is one where, I'll read it, and you might first think, what in the world does this have to do with me? But there's a lot in it for us. And there's a very important application for our moment in time, for our church, for every one of us individually. The first thing I'd like to do is I want to mark in our text each direct reference to Jesus. We'll put this on the screen. We've been doing this as we go. There are 63 direct references to Jesus. So if you have a pen or pencil, just put a box around each of these. You'll find one in verse 17, the word Christ. You go ahead and mark that up. I know we haven't, haven't read it yet, but I want you to see these ahead of time. Verse 19, the word head is a reference to Jesus Christ. And then verse 20, Christ shows up again. So you kind of see that, that Jesus is all throughout this book. Again, 63 times in just 90, 95 verses. Not just references to God, but references to Jesus specifically. Let's jump in in verse 16. We'll read 16 and 17. We're going to camp out on these two verses because they're kind of the key to the passage. Paul writes, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. If you get these verses, you get the whole thing. So let's spend some time here. In fact, the rest of the passage we won't get to till about, I don't know, the last quarter of the message, and it'll be more of the application point, because this is the big deal that Paul wants you to get. We have to start with the first word. That word, therefore, is important. It points backward. Anytime you're reading your Bible and you see that word, you got to make sure you know what the author was just speaking about, because he's making a logical connection. In this case, the therefore references back to the passage that Lloyd taught last week, in particular, verses 13 to 15, where Paul describes the total and complete victory by Jesus for us. So if you were here last week, um, uh, I, I thought Lloyd really, really nailed it. Uh, if you weren't here last week, you don't know what I'm talking about. And I expected that to get a little bit of a laugh. I guess I understand the heaviness of the morning. It didn't. But last week, Lloyd literally had a hammer and a nail, all right, and a cross. And he nailed some things to the cross. And one of the things he nailed was this black heart-shaped cross, or heart, a black cloth of a heart to remind us that we've been circumcised. Right? Not, not the, the fleshly circumcision only pointed to the more important circumcision, which is the, the transfer of a heart 
that happened. An old heart nailed to the cross, so to speak. The second thing he did was he had this long, you know, kind of um, one of those um, calculator tape rolls, you know, and he said, imagine that all your sins were written on this, every single one of them, and, and I don't know how many you'd have, you know, <laughs> Lloyd had a couple. And, you know, he nailed those to the cross as a representation of the complete and total victory that Jesus won for you. And so now what Paul is saying with the word therefore, he's saying that utter victory has implications, profound implications that are immediate. So Paul is saying, next, here's how you're going to live in light of your newfound freedom. Does that sound good? Like you didn't have to fight for the freedom. It was fought for you. Jesus won. Now here's how you live. All that's kind of carried in that connective word, therefore. So he says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Now, what he's doing here is fascinating. All those references, food and drink, festival, new moon, Sabbath, those are all connections to the Jewish religion of Paul's day. And they have reference to the Jewish law, but, but even more than that, it's kind of uh, all the layers of things that have been piled on the Jewish law over the centuries. And Paul is, is saying food and drink relates to the Jewish kosher laws. Festival, new moon, those are the Jewish calendar feasts and the holy days of the Jewish calendar. And then Sabbath, we know that one. That's the day of rest. But, but the, the Jewish religion had piled on all these legalistic man-made rules on top of the Sabbath. In fact, even today, if you're in Orthodox Jewish areas or particularly if you ever have a chance to go to Israel and you're in Jerusalem on the Sabbath or the Shabbat, as they call it, you're, it's gonna be a different experience for you. I, I was there not long ago and I was in a hotel and I noticed that uh, the elevators on, the, on Shabbat, the elevators stop at every single floor of the hotel because according to modern Jewish Sabbath law, it is breaking the Sabbath to push a button. And I was sitting there as slowly as the elevator went up and went up and I thought, I think this, uh, this day of rest should be about me getting to my hotel room quicker so I can rest. <laughs> Instead, you know, it's kind of going up. But, but anyway, the, the whole idea that Paul is saying here is he's saying, look, all those rules, all those burdens that, that don't, don't be put under the judgment again. Don't allow those things to be put over you because they can no longer be put over you if you are in Christ. And what had happened over the centuries was the Jewish law that was given to the people, the Hebrew Mosaic law that God gave to the people for the purpose of life, for the purpose of setting them apart and teaching them how to um, relate with God well and find life in their connection to God. All that had become a burden for them because they had layered all this other stuff and they were missing the point. In fact, even Jesus said that. By the time Jesus showed up on the scene, there was so much rules and regulations that even Jesus, God himself, was accused of breaking the law. Isn't that ironic? Like the one man who came to live out the law perfectly, Jesus said, I've come to fulfill the law. He was accused of breaking the law. One of the instances was when he healed a man on the Sabbath. It's like, you, you, you healed somebody, you worked, you know? Jesus' response, you know, and, and it's actually a different instance, but it was a similar response. He says, the Sabbath was made for man, not the other way around, not man for the Sabbath. Now, uh, what I want you to see when you think about this is Paul's point, man-made religious rules, like all these things he just listed, have no authority, so don't let anyone try to put you underneath, put, put you back underneath that burden. Verse 17 gets very interesting because Paul introduces a powerful metaphor, the shadow and the substance. He says, these are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. He's making a big contrast between the religious regulations and Christ 
himself. I want to mark up this verse with you. If you want to follow along with your pen or pencil, uh, you're welcome to do that. We'll put it on the screen so you can really see this contrast come alive. The first thing to do is to mark the word but, because it's the hinge point of the contrast. Put a triangle around but. Now, pause the the screen right there, if you will, for a minute. Why a triangle? Well, when I think of a triangle, I think of kind of like the pivot point of a a teeter-totter or a a seesaw. And so you've got one thing on one side of the the triangle and another thing on the other, and they're being balanced. They're getting compared paired to each other. This is that contrast, that the key word there. Next, draw circles around the two words that illustrate the contrast. You've got shadow on one side, draw a circle around that word, shadow, and substance on the other side, draw a circle around substance, and there's the metaphor. Like these are a shadow, but, pivot word, contrast word, the substance, and next, finally, draw an arrow from the word these, which is the very first word of the verb, draw an arrow from that word to the word shadow. He's saying these are shadow. And then draw another arrow from the word substance to the word Christ, because we're showing the subject of the comparison. So now it's marked up on the screen or maybe in in your um, Bible as well. You can see the contrast more clearly. He's saying these are a shadow. These laws and human man-made regulations and all this stuff or a shadow, but the substance belongs to Christ. The substance is Christ. This shadow substance metaphor is rich and it's carrying a lot of weight. So I want to interact with it for a few minutes. We're going to do a little illustration. I've got some props back here. Let me turn on my light. We're going to demonstrate the difference between shadow and substance. Let me move this table back for those of you on that side over there. Maybe you can see it. If not, everybody can see perfectly. I apologize. We try to get it the best place we can. I'm, I'm going to put some objects up on here and I want you to guess what it is. So this is how it's going to work. I've got a bag back here. I'm going to pull some things out of. I got to hide my bag so you can't see what I'm going to pull out though. No, uh, no peeking. Here's the first one. I think this one's going to be really easy. Yeah, exactly. Nothing looks like scissors. Okay. Like there's just no, absolutely no comparison. Now, although you know exactly what it is, the shadow of scissors cannot cut. If it did, you know, this sheet would be in in danger, but the sheet is not in danger because it's just a shadow. All right, let's go to another one. I think this one's also going to be fairly easy. Oh, yeah, exactly. Now, what kind of shoe is it? Yeah, it's not a dress shoe. You can tell it's a tennis shoe. It's got the laces. You know, you see, kind of see the, even see the tread on the bottom if you're looking closely. But you don't, can't tell what kind of shoe it is. Like, what brand of shoe? What brand of shoe is it? Oh, you don't know that? You're just guessing, right? What color is it? Black, blue. Now, as it turns out, it is a blue Nike, okay? <laughs> but that was just lucky, I think. All right, let's, let's go to another one. Um, this one, see if you can tell what this is. Oh, come on. What, what is, it's a can. It's a can of soda. What kind of, what kind of soda? Some of you are peeking. Diet Coke. Diet Coke. What else could it be? Sprite. Okay, Dr. Pepper. Somebody in another service said beer. Like, what kind of guy do you think I am? <laughs> so what kind of guy do you think I am? And they said a Presbyterian. <laughs> Now, it turns out that this is, this is a good old uh, Coca-Cola. Now, um, here's the difference between a shadow and a substance. A shadow, you might be able to tell it's a can of something, you know, maybe you're kind of like, that reminds me, I'm thirsty. But the substance, you see, oh, substance can quench my thirst. Ah. I haven't had regular Coke in a while. That's, wow, that's sweet. Okay, uh, a couple more. Um, 
see if you can tell what this is. Yes, good guess. It's not a book. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Now, if I, if I go like that, yeah, yeah, you can kind of see this. Now, now, just knowing it's a picture frame, that's not very inspiring. You know, there's nothing that great. Okay, well, what's in the frame? What does the frame look like, et cetera? But if I show you this now, this is a picture of me and my three daughters, Ansley, Elisa, and Karis. We had just finished a hike at Rock Island State Park. On the back of this frame says, Happy Father's Day, 2018. And then each of my daughters wrote a little message. Now, I don't care about the shadow, but this, I'm never going to let this, this go, right? We're going to do one more. See if you can guess what this is. A credit card, very good guess. Anything else? A driver's license, good. How about if I do this with it? Ah, there it is. Now, it could be Monopoly money. It could be, uh, oops, could be Peruvian money. It could be uh, anything. It, it, it is U.S. currency. But you don't know, is this $1 bill? Well, probably none me. Uh, maybe it's a $100 bill or, you know, whatever a greater denomination is. Turns out it's a five. It's a $5 bill. Now, I, I want to demonstrate something. Let's see, who should I, who should I pick on over here? Okay. Uh, would you rather have the, the shadow or the substance? Substance. Okay, she'd rather have the substance. Unfortunately, I'm going to give you the shadow. So let me just put this in the light. There it is. You can't see this, but the shadow is on her face. How do you feel? Is that satisfying in any way? No, it's like you want, you want to buy a coffee, right? I'm going to give the substance to you. Now, here's, here's the, the lesson of this. Paul's saying the shadow can't compare to the substance. We get that. We know. I actually want to put on the screen a comparison of the difference between shadow and substance. We've got a little chart, and I want you to write this down if you'd like, because we're going to use this to compare it to the, the text and, and really see what Paul's saying here. On the left, we have shadow. On the right, we have substance. Let's just walk through these. The first is the shadow is the absence of light. See, when I turn that light off, you know, the shadow goes away, and really what a shadow is, thank you, what a shadow actually is is the absence of light, but a substance reflects the light. That's how it has color. That's how you can see it. It's reflecting the light. The shadow has no depth to it. The substance has three-dimensional depth. You can feel it. You can touch it. You can you manip manipulate it. The shadow is easily distorted. If I move it toward and you know, close to the light, far from the light, it kind of changes shapes. The substance is sturdy and stable. The shadow is, uh, well, I'll wait for that to catch up, Intangible is the next one. The shadow is intangible. Of course, the substance is tangible and solid. Tangible and solid. And finally, the shadow is elusive. It's fleeting. It goes away. It moves. As soon as I turn the light off, there's no more shadow. The substance, however, is lasting and secure. Think about the, you know, the, the, the shadow of the Coke versus the taste of the Coke, the, the shadow of the picture frame versus the, how meaningful the picture is to me, um, the, the shadow of the $5 bill as opposed to the substance uh, to actually hold that in your hand. Now, we'll leave that on the screen for a little while because I, I want to show you what Paul is saying and how rich it is. Paul is saying the regulations of the Old Testament are like shadows. Okay, they, they, they're kind of, the, they're, they're the, sort of represented by the absence of light. They don't have depth to them. They're easily distorted. Isn't that true about rules and laws over time? They're intangible in a sense. They're elusive. They're you know, fleeting. It's just like you can't really fully fulfill them because, you know, you just start making some progress and then all of a sudden it's like, well, I thought I was there. And then all the law has done is revealed to me how far I still have to go. But Jesus, the substance, well, that's a different story, you see. 
He reflects the light, you know, and the light of the Father. In fact, Jesus himself is light. It's, it's, there's three-dimensional depth, you know. We will be able to embrace him someday and actually interact with him as a physical being. He's sturdy, he's stable, he's not easily distorted. He's tangible and solid, he's lasting, he's secure, he is the substance. So, see, Paul's getting a lot of mileage out of this analogy, but it gets even better. Because he says... These laws and regulations are a shadow of things to come. And the, a better way to understand that, and most translations translate it slightly different, is it'd be better to say these are a shadow of things that have come. These are a shadow of the substance that has come. So these are a shadow of things that were to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So Paul's not saying, you know, the shadows of things that we're still waiting for. Paul is saying the shadows pointed to one who came, who was to come when the law was given, and now has come the substance, Jesus Christ. It gets even better. Because when I, I looked at this in Greek, I saw something really interesting. The word substance actually is the Greek word soma, which is the word for body. So that same word is also used for body. So soma, S-O-M-A. So this is my soma. We all have a soma. So the image, this is so cool, the image that Paul is creating, it's the image of a person approaching with a light behind his back. So you can't see the body, the person yet. All you see is the shadow, the outline, the shape, the dark shadow of the person. But when the person arrives, the shadow gives way and you now see the body, the substance, the person. You no longer see the shadow, you see the body. The body belongs to Christ, you see. But the substance, the body belongs to Jesus. So you see what he's saying? He's saying these Religious rules and laws and regulations serve a purpose, but their purpose is to point out the substance, to, to give a, a point to his imminent arrival, to outline his shape. But now that he has come, the body has come, we have the substance. God has come in a body. God has come in substance, solid, tangible, lasting, secure, all the things on the right side of that chart. He is the image of the invisible God. The, the invisible God that, that just seems so intangible to us. Jesus Christ is the substance. He's the image of it. New Testament scholar David Garland paraphrased Paul's metaphor with these words. Why play in the shadow world when you have experienced the real thing? That's the question every Christian should wrestle with. Why? It's what Paul is saying. Why play in the shadow world when you've experienced the real thing? If you get that, you get the text this morning. Paul's going to make this case, and he's going to keep on applying it throughout the rest of our text. So there are three lessons that I want you to see. The first you've already seen, and I want to re-articulate it in, in maybe an easier way to hear or a simpler way. Here's lesson number one, and then we'll go through the next two. Lesson number one, the shadow of religion cannot compare to the substance, which is Jesus Christ. That's it. Simple as I can say it. The shadow of religion cannot compare in any way, any way, to the substance, which is Christ himself. Before I move on to the next application points, um, I really want to bring this into our contemporary context so that the next points will, will come alive and even this point will come alive because most of us are not in the context where we're wrestling with Orthodox Judaism and the Mosaic Law. That's just not most of our context. However, that does not mean there's no application for us. Far from it. In many ways, I would argue, the religion 
of Christianity in the 21st century is not that different from the religion of Judaism in the first century when Paul was writing. In both cases, people took what was intended to be a life-giving relational connection to Christ, the substance, and made a religion out of it. And of course, I'm using the word religion a little bit in quotes, a little bit in a derogative way, but I think it carries Paul's message here. Some of you instantly connect to this and you're like, I know exactly what you're talking about, Rob, because I was raised in a very legalistic religious home. Uh, Some of you come from those backgrounds where man-made rules of right and wrong were what came to define who was in and who was out. And Christ is there, but he's kind of on the periphery and it's kind of this idea of like, well, you know, Jesus you know, he died on the sin, so he died on the cross for our sins so that we could be with him in eternity. But between now and then, man, we really got to obey the rules. And, you know, he kind of left us here to kind of to, to work it out and, and really get clean. Essentially what that's saying is, you know, that's saying, um, here's what's good, here's what's not good, here's what's clean, here's what's not clean. And it's all that external stuff that's going to make you right with God. I want you to see That's not what Jesus taught. That's not what Paul taught. It's not what scripture teaches. In fact, Jesus spoke out exactly against that. When Jesus was interacting with the Pharisees, he says, don't you see, it's not the external stuff, the cleanliness rituals, the rules, the laws. It's not the external stuff that makes you unclean. It's what's inside of you that makes you unclean. Which, by the way, in many ways, isn't that a lot harder which is why I think a lot of more legalistic traditions stay away from it. It's easier in some ways to say, I'm going to play by the rules because I don't want to have to look at the darkness that's inside. Now, in most legalistic contexts that I'm familiar with, very little attention is given to the internal condition of the heart. And I want you to see what that does. It puts all the focus on the external, on the, the shadow stuff. All the focus on the shadow instead of the substance. This is exactly what Paul was teaching against. Now, legalism still alive and well. I recognize that. I know that. Some of you may still kind of have one foot in the boat and one foot in the dock when it comes to a legalistic um, approach to your, to your faith. And we want to help you wrestle through that and, and come to see grace in all of its wonder and beauty. Um, but I want to say this. There is another shadow type of religion that I see all over the place in our cultural context. And I want to call it out a little bit because I think the Spirit would wish to do that through this text this morning. And I'm going to put it under the banner of what I call cultural Christianity, but there's a lot of different things you could call it. And, and I'm not throwing stones unless I'm looking in the mirror and throwing in my own heart because I've got some of this in me. Let me define it for you. What I'm calling cultural Christianity is a shallow form of faith that claims the name of Jesus but has very little to do with genuine devotion to Christ or a life given to imitating and following him. Now, that's a big deal in our society and our culture. There's all kinds of people that would say, well, and I'm a Christian. You know, I, I'm connected to some church somewhere and I attend you know, sometimes and um, I'm, I know I'm not Jewish and I'm not Muslim, I'm not Hindu and, and I'm American. You know, I'm Christian. You know, it's kind of like their, their idea. We're, we're right here in, in the Bible Belt and it's still kind of alive and well. From my perspective, I still think this is the biggest religion of our day. It's a religion that looks the part and knows the words but has very little of the substance. And that's what makes it so dangerous in a way. 
It reminds me of Jesus' words in Matthew 15. He was quoting from the prophet Isaiah, and he was talking about the most religious people of his day. He said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. I don't want you to think that I'm just like calling out all those other churches out there, but not Fellowship Bible Church. We're all about the heart. I, guys, we can't have that kind of pride. I see some of this in me. It's in me. It's in us. It's in Lloyd. It's in, it's, it, it's in us because it's in the water that we swim in. Uh, cultural Christianity is more about the kingdom of self than the kingdom of God. Yeah, I heard a mmm. I, I say mmm than myself on that one because that can be me. Uh, it, it's more about adding Jesus as a life supplement than it is about centering my life on him. It is a half-hearted, go-through-the-motions kind of faith. And I'm not saying, look, doubt your salvation. Doubt. No, that's not where I'm going. I'm saying when Jesus saves us, he calls us to be all in. And, and not as a duty, but as a response, as a response to grace, as a response to love. So the result in the broader culture of so many quote-unquote Christians just living half-hearted, cultural Christianity, name-only kind of faith, which again, I'm not throwing stones. It's in here. It's in all of us in certain degrees. The result is many in the broader culture seeing all this and saying, why would I want to have anything to do with Jesus? I know too many of his followers. I think if Paul were writing a letter to the churches in our day, he might say this, be careful that you don't replace the substance of Jesus Christ with the shadow of your religion of convenience. Now, I know this, this falls a little heavy, you know, and, and it falls heavy on, on me as well, but there's life up underneath it that I want to get us to. The more I've studied Colossians, the deeper my conviction has become that our faith must stay centered on Christ. Christianity, if you think about it, is all about worshiping Jesus, loving Jesus, following Jesus, serving Jesus, and doing that together as a body because you can't do it alone. There's no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. And we're a family of faith. We're a body. So our mission at Fellowship, hear this, is helping people find wholehearted life in Jesus. It is not helping people supplement their lives with quality religious goods and services. May it not be. We must not trade the substance of Jesus Christ for a shadow of him. And I think we are in danger of that in our culture. And the word of God would say, be careful. Because if you do that, you're settling for less than life. Less than the life that Christ would have for us. We're the ones that will that will feel the detriment. I'm getting ahead of myself. That's lesson number two. Let me, let me just restate lesson number one, then we'll move on. Lesson number one, the shadow of religion cannot compare to the substance, which is Jesus Christ. I've got to move quickly through the next two lessons. Lesson number two in verses 18 to 19. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. So Paul's introducing another analogy here. Uh, think about the human body, how it gets its life from the head. 
You know, every, your whole life comes through this little part of your body. What you breathe, what you taste, what you hear, what you think, uh, everything comes through this little part of your body. And so he's saying just as you, the human body has to have the head in order to have life, the body of Christ has to be connected to the head in order to have life, and so do you because you are a part of the body. So here's lesson number two. The shadow of religion will pull you away from the one thing you need most. The shadow of religion, maybe I'd say it softer, can pull you away. The shadow of religion can pull you away from the one thing you need most because the one thing you need most is relationship with Christ. He is your life source. So Paul's saying, don't be distracted and pulled away from your life source. Even by stuff that looks good and sounds good, like all the legalistic religious stuff. Don't let that substitute. Don't go after the shadow instead of the substance because you're going to starve yourself because you're disconnecting yourself from the head who is Jesus Christ. That's lesson number two. Shadow of religion will, can pull you away from the one thing you need most, Jesus. Lesson number three, verses 20 to 23, we'll, we'll close out the text with this. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations, quote, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings? These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they're of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Here's the third lesson, and this one is so interesting. The shadow of religion has no power to help you with the real problems of your life. The real heart-level struggle, the reasons that you keep going to the sins that you're going to and damaging yourself and damaging all the relationships, all the kind of the indulgences of the flesh that Paul's talking about, the shadow of religion has no power to help you with those kinds of things. Paul's saying, if what you really long for is fullness of life, which is you know, what we all long for, why go to dead things to find it? And then he quotes the rules. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. And then he says, all those, these things have the appearance of wisdom. In other words, they sound pious. They sound life-giving. They are ironically useless at the very thing they promise to give, which is a better life, more righteous life, less destructive life. It doesn't work if you just go in man-made religion, man-made rules to try to make yourself better. He's saying there's no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. The problem with our human attempts to manage our sin is what it creates in us is more sin. Here's what I mean. You try hard enough to obey God in your own flesh by obeying your own set of rules, pretty soon you're doing pretty well. If you're self-disciplined enough, not all of us are, some of us are. So what does that produce in you? Pride. <laughs> Look at me, I guess I do have what it takes to please God. You never say that out loud. Guess what? You're eventually going to fall. You're eventually going to wear out. You're going to get distracted. You're going to get tempted. You're going to fall off down the horse. Guess what that produces in you? Shame. And then you're going to say, all right, I can do it. I'm going to try again. And then you're going to get back up. And you're going to be good for another 14 days, 21 days, 28 days, whatever. And then you're going to fall again. Pride, shame, pride, shame, pride, shame. It's a relentless cycle. Guys, this describes most of my Christian life for most of my years. Pride, shame. What's the alternative? What is the alternative? Well, I'm not going to preach next week's sermon today, 
But this is where Paul goes in chapter three. So like, this is the greatest bait and switch of all time because I'm gonna say, come back next week, you know? Because <laughs> really, that's where Paul goes. But let me, just, let me just say this. What is the alternative? Turning away from the shadow of the man-made religion. The self-made religion is the term Paul gives for it in verse 23. Turning away from the shadow and turning toward the substance. Turning toward the body. Turning toward Jesus. Worshiping him. Talking to him. Relating to him. Abiding in him. Depending on him. Trusting him. Centering our lives on him. For some of you, you need to turn to Jesus in the middle of your sin and just be in, let him be in the struggle with you and receive grace and allow that grace to produce something new in you. Not pride, not shame. To allow yourself to be transferred by Jesus. And then he's going to help you. This is how we're going to find life in Jesus, turning away from the shadow, turning toward the substance. Because the shadow of religion cannot compare to the substance, which is Christ himself. The shadow of religion will pull you away from the one thing you most need, Jesus himself, if you're not careful. The shadow of religion has no power to help you with the real problems of your life. But Jesus does. Jesus does. Now, because we cannot do any of this alone, we are a church. We are a community. Right? We're called to gather together. And so in this worship service right now this morning, we're going to move from the hearing of God's word to responding to God's word. We're going to take the opportunity to proclaim together with our voices that Jesus Christ is the center of all things. He is the substance in a world of shadows. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, thank you for not leaving us without something real, without something tangible. And in the heart of every single one here is a desire for life and, um, and sort of an instinct to go to shadowy places to find it. And, and some go to shadowy dark places that just have no even appearance of health and no appearance of wisdom. There's just, they're just sin, struggle stuff that they're trying to find life in. But others, oh, they go to other shadowy things that seem to promise life, but ultimately it's a, it's, it's a lot of self-made religion. It's a lot of self-effort. It's a lot of trying to make it on their own and falling off the horse and then trying again and falling in pride and shame. And Oh, I believe there's something deeper and something more tangible and substantive. May we see the law for what it is and not to, not to despise it, but, but to see it fulfilled in Jesus Christ. May we pattern our lives not on the shadow of the law, but on the one who fulfilled the law, the substance. May we look at Jesus and say, how did he interact with God? How did he deal with this and temptation? And may we imitate him. May we run to the substance. May we lean on the substance. May we lean in. And now may we worship, even in this moment, may we worship what is true, what is real. We have the privilege of worshiping the substance, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen.